welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I'm joined today by Audrey Preston. Audrey, how are you? I'm doing great. It's starting to feel like autumn in Alaska. It is. We've yep. had several days of rain. Yesterday was the heaviest rain yeah. I think I've seen maybe in a year. Yeah. I'm used to a light drizzle, but yeah. It Snow came down. is expected in Denali this week. Oh, man. Any predictions about when we'll see termination dust on the Chugach range? Uh. It's been kind of a wet year yeah, and a little cooler, so probably earlier than normal. I yeah. don't know. Maybe even like mm, by the first Sunday in September, I wouldn't yeah. be super surprised if there's some way up there. Yeah. I remember last year being with you and Josh at Hatcher Pass when you guys renewed your vows. That's right. And we hiked up into, into the snow. snow without knowing. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was such a wild, weird day. I don't even remember the dates of that, but it was probably around this time of year. It, wasn't it, it? was, yeah. yeah, it was the middle of September, and that's yeah, yeah that Come. that would be when I would peg for termination dust in the Chugach Range right after Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. good news for some people. Other yeah. people don't want to hear this. They've already turned the podcast off. Yep, this is, uh, <laughs> this is like a curse on their life. So. Cool. Well, if you're just tuning into the podcast for the first time, uh, this is episode 13. Audrey and I are going to be talking about the idol of health. And specifically, Audrey will tell some of her story in a minute, but her perspective uniquely is that of a personal trainer. She has studied fitness, the body, uh, biology, and has some insight into ways that we can interact with our own health without making it an idol necessarily. Last week uh, on the podcast, episode 12, I had an interview, uh, excuse me, I had an opportunity to interview Scott Belmore, one of our lay elders and a full-time missionary with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Scott and I discussed um, the state of the Southern Baptist Convention. As of 2021, he and I both had the opportunity to attend the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in June of this year, and we shared uh, some of our experience. Scott shared a lot of his own story and perspective with the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as uh, we had some discussion around our hopes for the future of the SBC. So to kick off our conversation today, Audrey, I'll throw the ball to you. For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, if you can, kind of connect us to what you do and how you began to yeah. do that, and why do you personally care about health? All right, sure. So before I actually get started, I'm going to throw out the legal disclaimer. I am a certified personal trainer. I am not a medical doctor. I am not a certified nutritionist. So therefore, uh, even though we may or may not get into any practical advice as far as fitness and health, um, nothing in this podcast is meant to uh, be diagnostic or, uh, or prescriptive. And so I just ask that you would please consult your doctor before you begin any new fitness regimen. So, but now that's out of the way, yeah. let's go into, uh, yeah, my, a little bit of my story. So a lot of times people see me and they think that I have just always been an athletic person and that is not true. Um, I was not athletically gifted as a child, didn't have very good body awareness, didn't, uh, didn't really have any, any interest in, in exercise at all. And then at age 21, I fell off a horse. I had a head, neck and spine injury, um, which then took me into a period of life where I started having migraines regularly. And, and then I, since I wasn't athletically gifted, I just kind of gave myself the easy way out all the time, which meant that I let my core get super weak. And then I threw out my low back at age 25. I threw out my low back at age 28, you know, and you got to the, I got to this really humbling place in my life where, you know, I had to have my husband help me up and down off the toilet. And that's humbling. And, and at, you know, you're not even 30 years old and you can't like sit up and, you know, sit down and stand up by yourself. Um, 
And I thought, no, I don't ever, I don't want to be here again. Um, I'm not doing this. And uh, triathlons was something that really interested me. So I started researching triathlons. I started researching how to get in shape to do triathlons. I did a little bit of physical therapy. And um, all of a sudden in uh, 2017, I realized that in my fitness journey to learn how to do triathlons and uh, work on some food sensitivity issues and core strength and health, that I had been two years migraine free. And so, um, so then I, I started really pursuing then getting into, f- uh, fitness as a career. I became a certified, uh, personal trainer, uh, in the spring of 2018. And through all of this story, God has just really gifted me with the ability to meet people where they are, um, especially people who really approach fitness with, with fear or with, uh, with shame and to help them uh, kind of get out of their own heads and find grace and be able to find freedom and find the right balance of fitness with everything else in life. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I've gotten to where I am. So, Audrey, thinking through uh, personal fitness, I'm on some social media platforms. I get a lot of ads for different people who say that they've sort of cracked the fitness code to <laughs> yeah. some degree. They'll be they'll say all cardio, no cardio, all carbs, no carbs. Um, talk to us a little bit again, understanding that this is not legal advice or or you know medical doctor advice that you're giving. Uh, talk a little bit about sort of what philosophy you have as a personal trainer. What is your approach to how you coach people and and maybe even how you understand fitness to be defined. Yeah. So, um, my philosophy, my coaching philosophy probably is mostly functional, uh, functional training. So basically I would work, uh, with mostly with like core strength, uh, hip strength and balance and mobility. Um, those are probably the key functions as far as like, if you can maintain functional mobility, um, that can, uh, benefit really almost anybody in, uh, in any stage of fitness, um, that they're in. But with that being said that I just said, Hey, this probably will work for everybody. Yeah. Don't ever, don't ever believe anything that says, Hey, this will work for literally everybody because, um, every body, every physical body is different. So exercise affects people's bodies differently. Uh, food nutrition affects people's Mm -hmm. bodies differently. So don't ever believe, you know, uh, anything that would ever say that this is, this is going to work for you no matter what, because, um, all of that really does um, just affect people differently. So, you know, as far as like foods that create inflammation, you know, there may be, um, you know, kale, for instance, uh, that can really create inflammation for people who have thyroid issues. Mm. So what happens if I eat kale smoothies and I lose a lot of weight and I have lots of energy and it's great, but if you have thyroid issues, that could all of a sudden like just tank your energy, make lots of weight gain. Mm. Um, so it just kind of depends. Every single physical body is different. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very helpful. I appreciate your insight there. Yeah. So how about you? What's, uh, what's your story? How, how do you approach health and, and what is your relationship with fitness? Yeah. So, um, a handful of experiences in my life convinced me that I could not remain passive about my own health and hope to be healthy. 
it wasn't going to work that way. Uh, the men in my family typically have a pretty fast metabolism, and so it takes us a while to realize that we have to take a, a, a role, play a role in our own fitness, at least in from a weight standpoint, which I think is probably the first measurement most of us interact with when we think fitness. We go, well, do I weigh the right amount? Um, so for me, I'll zoom out first and say that my personal understanding of what has helped me the most is a mixture of adding in some exercise, um, and I'll talk about what works best for me, and then also just creating boundaries. So helping yeah. myself know when to stop, how much is enough, uh, even my relationship with food. It's been interesting um, as I'm trying to explore and understand uh, some of the historical perspectives on spiritual disciplines. Uh, a lot of those disciplines involve self-limiting, self-control, mm -hmm. which is part of the fruit of the spirit. We shouldn't be surprised, but we don't typically spend a lot of time talking to each other about that as Christians. Um, and so thinking through, like, uh, I had a conversation with Josiah Rice a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about the average relationship to ice cream that people have. Like, I told him, the older I get and the more that I realize that ice cream was sort of an emotional band-aid as a kid, anytime anything really good would happen, it, we, we would crown it with a scoop of ice cream at the end of the yeah. day, right? That was sort of the fulfillment of the thing. And then if really bad stuff would happen, we would mourn with a scoop of ice cream. The sugar and the fat, all of that kind of got our endorphins up. And so I told him, and I hope this doesn't ruin anybody else's perspective, but like the next time I go to an ice cream shop, it's going to kind of be sad to look around and go, what what brought all these people here today? Yeah. You know, it's like a weird, almost like a weird pharmacy. So, <laughs> so that kind of thing has helped me to just begin to think through my relationship with food and why do I have certain cravings at certain times. But the birthplace of all of this for me, if I could go back to the beginning, I remember as a, a relatively young kid, maybe a preteen, seeing my older relatives begin to break down mm. and lose their mobility, lose their ability to do things that to me were very basic. Uh, I mean, there were times when I would think that my grandmother, for instance, was like playing a trick on me because she wouldn't get out of the chair to come and see what I was doing in the other room. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she began to kind of ration her mobility because it was so painful and exhausting to her just to get up and walk around the house. And so um, that was uh, uh, the beginning of me noticing that, you know, as we get older, we don't just become nicer and have gray hair. Our bodies kind of start to betray us yeah. to a certain degree. Um, and then, you know, in high school, I began lifting weights as a part of a football program. I briefly did powerlifting because I was very skinny. And so I was in a, a weight class where I could maybe win sometimes. Uh, that was like a one semester thing that was not good for me. I never had the intensity required to like focus and just sit in a gym for three hours until you do one 30 second lift, you know, and yeah. then you wait another three hours. And I just couldn't I have a lot of empathy for our Olympic athletes that have just wrapped up the games, uh, all the sitting that they have to do. Um, coming out of that and getting into, uh, my new marriage, I worked at a summer camp as my first full-time job. And so in the summers, I would typically lose about 30 pounds, uh, just between the beginning of May and the end of August, the amount of sweating I was doing. I mean, we're talking hundreds of ounces of water every active day. Active yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. And, yeah. and everything is a game. Like anything we would do, we're always racing the clock if it's dishes or we're racing kids or we're racing each other. And there was no true exercise necessarily, but even the way that we would do um, our sort of church service in the evenings, we were supposed to, as summer camp counselors, we should be jumping the whole time. We would jump for like 40 minutes yeah. without stopping. And there's like arm motions to all the songs to get the kids pumped up and excited. 
And so, yeah, it was just extremely That's a lot active. of physical work, yeah. Yeah, and I learned at summer camp that dancing is some of the very best exercise you can do yep. to have to use your whole body and throw your weight around. So I would lose a bunch of weight, and I kind of got used to that as being my cycle. I was like, well, you know, every summer by August, I'll be trim. I'll fit back into my medium T-shirts again. Yeah. And, uh, and once that career was over, my wife and I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, so that I could attend seminary. And while we were there, my first job was to deliver ice. And so I worked for an ice company in Louisville. I would go in the mornings, bag the ice at the ice plant, put it on trucks, and then deliver it all over western Kentucky and eastern um, Indiana, southern Indiana, eastern Illinois. And there was a day, I remember clearly, where I worked like 12 or 14 hours. They had given us a bonus that day. Like for every so many hundreds of pounds of ice, we would make another $15 or something. And so... Uh, I should have quit a long time ago. I had worked way too long. I was totally physically exhausted, and I yeah. lost my discipline. I stopped lifting with my legs, these 30-pound bags of ice. Started rounding just, through the spine. That's exactly right. And I began to just sort of slingshot. I was almost pushing with my knees oh. through my whole so I mean, just like whipping my body. And so uh, I totally exacerbated my back, messed it up. I ended up herniating a disc that oh, day. No. So went to the doctor, like immediately the next morning could tell something was really, really wrong. Uh, the doctor said, you can do surgery or you can do therapy. I was 25. I thought, I do, I do not want to start back surgeries at 25 years old. And so went to a great physical therapist, and uh, he clarified, to, to call back to what I said earlier, I told you that I watched a lot of my older family members sort of break down yeah. as a younger kid. He said to me something I've never forgotten, that the thing that makes a person homebound, the thing that really kind of ruins your life as an adult is when you lose the ability to stand up out of a chair. Yeah. Once you need assistance to do that, you can no longer go to the bathroom on your own. You cannot drive on your own. You can't answer the door. You can't get out of your house in the case of an emergency. You know, if there's a fire or somebody were to break in. And so... That was very convicting to me. Yeah. Um, to to not see my body necessarily as something to be sculpted so that I could take pride in it, but to make sure that as much time and energy as I was putting into my spiritual element of my life, the mental element of my life, studying, reading, listening, that I needed to be pretty robust in my approach to my physical outlook yeah. as well. And sitting, so, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sitting is the new smoking. Uh, mm. Research is showing that. Yeah, that Americans, we sit, because of we work at jobs that we sit at computers. The average American has an hour-long commute to work. Mm-hmm. The average American watches three hours of television a day. So the average American sits 90 to 120 hours a week. Yeah. And that is considered more detrimental to your health than if you were an active person who smokes like a pack of cigarettes a day. Sitting is just that hard on your body. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so, yeah, that, that is the key indicator of... You've lost your independence. You've lost your ability to move. And yeah. And we're so used to it. We go, well, people have always sat this much, but they haven't. They really. haven't. Like yeah. children, children going to school is a very good thing, but you have to sit kids down to get them to pay attention. They sit in a desk all day long. Yeah. That then gets them used to the idea that the way that you read, the way that you study is seated. Yeah. You go to college, you do it for hundreds of hours in a row, and then you get a job where the only thing you've ever done when you got anything done was sit down. So of course you think, I have to be seated to get this done. I have to be focused and narrow my perspective. And so, yeah, it's interesting to think like, no, for a long, long time, most of the work done in the entire world was up on your feet or down on your knees or a combination of the two. Yeah, getting up and and down. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh, It's interesting how something like that can be such a mental paradigm shift, I think, uh, that I would would never think that sitting would be that bad. But then I go, yeah, the back pain and the hip pain and the knee pain and the weight gain and all that stuff. So for me, it was those kinds of things that, that led to trying to be serious about 
kind of four broad categories. One, food. I needed to be thinking about what I was eating. I didn't necessarily need to be on a diet, but I needed to consider my diet, which yes. was what I'm consuming. Yes. And thinking about it and just asking myself, do I know what this is? Do I have a grip on, in a given week, how many times I, I run through a fast food restaurant and grab a hamburger on processed white bread? Do I actually think about it? Not that it's a sin against God to do that, but am I aware? And I wasn't. I was passive. Yeah. Um, thinking about my sleep schedule. You know, sleep for most of my life, and this is probably a product of extending my adolescence into college, but sleep was just a necessary inconvenience. I would get as little as I possibly had to because I wanted to be awake. Because yeah. awake is where the fun is. Yep. And anybody with a, a little, like a child six or younger, knows the fight to get them to go to bed. It's in us to just not want to lay down and stop. But like going to bed at the right time, figuring out how to, and even my wife and I are talking about this right now, like what is the role of the cell phone in our bedroom? Should it be on our nightstand? Should it be under our pillow or should it be in another room? Like as a pastor, is it okay for me to be unreachable while I'm sleeping? I kind of think so, but there's a school of thought that would say, no, not necessarily. Um, considering rest and me learning to categorize rest as different from sleep, yes. that rest is waking, that it's active, it's intentional, uh, thinking through something like a Sabbath. In my life, I try. I am not great at it, but I try every week from Friday at about 4 or 5 p.m. Uh, when I get back from a date with my wife until Saturday at the same time to do very little that is quote-unquote productive. Yeah. To not be making, to not be working, to not be fixing, to not be responding, answering, but to just be trying to think about who God is, to figure out ways to be with him, to concentrate and focus on my relationship with him. Um, and so... For me at this point, I can say that I have definitely dealt with idolatry in, in my fitness in the past. I think that in an attempt to learn different ways to exercise, uh, one of the avenues I've done to go about that is follow certain people on YouTube or begin mm -hmm. to follow them on other social media platforms. And unfortunately, it seems like even the best, most wholesome of these guys end up trying to sell some product. Get, they get branded, they get sponsored, or they build their own brand. Um, and, and that begins to play with my heart a little bit. That yeah. begins to tell me there is a platform here. There's money to be made. There's a, you know, this could be this or that, or and I could change, or I could have that guy's muscles or I could whatever. And, and so I, I don't at all want us to have this conversation acting as if we are somehow elevated above other people and, yeah. and have never dealt with this. Um, but, but dealing with it, like actually acknowledging that it's an idol and wanting for it to change, I think has been a big part of, of how I've been able to keep it from staying an idol uh, in the long term. So mm. let me throw the ball back to you here. You are a personal trainer. You explained to us that you, you know, you do this work, you help people achieve certain objectives they have. Um, how have you seen health become an idol? And how maybe does your career uniquely expose you to the idolatry of health? Yeah. So great question. I think, um, to really answer that, we almost have to look at how uh, polarized health and fitness mm -hmm. is in our culture, just kind of like some of the other idols that you've discussed in this sermon series going through uh, Exodus that, um, that, you know, the other, other idols in our, in our, in that we have in our, in U.S. society, like culture, politics is super bipolarized and fitness is no exception. So like, um, for example, you know, you have one end of the spectrum that we, we've got the the fast food eating Netflix binge watcher who gets winded walking up the stairs. They say mm -hmm. the only marathon that I ever run is on Netflix. Um, and and we think it's funny. You know, my husband has a shirt that says exercise. I thought you said extra fries. And we all laugh because it's funny and it's kind of true. Uh, but then you have the opposite end of the spectrum 
where you have the non-GMO, organic-only vegans who run ultra marathons on the weekends for fun, and and we kind of we kind of see these extremes, and each extreme thinks the other one is kind of wrong and has messed up priorities. And um, I think both of them are actually idols when it comes to health and fitness. Um, you know, the one end uh, we're kind of like where I was when I, after my head injury, you know, the one end of the spectrum is you're taking the, the easy way out, what it feels good in the moment. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're picking the, the foods that give us the endorphin rush, you know, with all the sugar and the salt, um, and, or we're at the opposite end of the spectrum where we're, trying to blow our limitations out of the water. You know, you had mentioned limitations and you had mentioned boundaries. And I think that's probably the biggest thing once you get into the fitness industry is this drive towards like superhuman Hmm. ability and achievement. Mm -hmm. And so we think that, you know, that we all should be as fast as Usain Bolt. (laughs) And we think that we should all be able to, you know, we our our culture idolizes the people who can do it all. I work a 40 to 50 hour job. I've got this great, beautiful family. I volunteer at my church and at the local soup kitchen. And I also won my age division at the Ironman. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, and we, we value these people who seem to be able to do it all and to have this superhuman ability. Um, where we should have a better balance of making sure that um, that everything is in life is being nourished, our spiritual health, our physical health, our emotional health, our relationships. And, um, and so we just ignore our limitations and our boundaries to uh, achieve, find achievement in one area of life at the detriment of all of the others. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of maybe, maybe an example of this personally would be like when I, I ran a half marathon, sorry, not a half, a half Ironman in 2019. Okay. So a half Ironman for people who don't know is, um, is a total of 70.3 miles. It's 1.2 miles of swimming, 56 miles of biking, and then a half marathon run. Mm. And when I signed up to do that, I was thinking, you know, I, need to do this because I'm a personal trainer. I have all this interest in triathlon. I want to be able to understand what the training feels like so that I can train people better. Um, and all of my intentions started out really, really noble and really good, but very quickly I wrapped my whole identity up Mm -hmm. in that. And there was Mm -hmm. this driving fear and anxiety behind all of my training. Like, well, what happens when we're driving down to Burdegur and someone rear ends us and then my bicycle and gets crushed and and now I can't compete and, Mm -hmm. or what happens if I injured myself? And so now I can't finish the race or, you know, I was beginning to wrap my whole identity up into this physical achievement which nowadays is just kind of like, well, I mean, it was fun. I loved being in that good of shape, (laughs) but, uh, but I was definitely overtraining to the point where, you know, I was having emotional breakdowns, um, and just falling down in tears and stuff because Mm. I wasn't able to, I wasn't setting good, healthy boundaries as far as rest and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if I can throw an example into, in my own life, when I first started working out, uh, when my wife and I lived in Kentucky, when I became serious about this after I hurt my back, um, 
I, you know, I'd get on bodybuilding.com and try to find like a good three or four day workout plan. And a lot of times that involved way more upper body than I had ever done when I was in high school, mm. anything like that. And so I began to see a little bit of muscle development in my upper body. And I think there's something in every guy, some latent machismo that's not healthy at all. And so I would look at myself in the mirror a lot more than I used to. I would start to evaluate, should I change uh, shirt size so that I look better? Or, you know, are my shirts too small? Whatever. And in such a helpful way, my wife would often come into the bathroom or the bedroom, whatever, and roll her eyes. And I would say, <laughs> I would get back from the gym and I would go, hey, look at this. I've never been able to see my biceps before. And I would flex. And she'd be like, uh, you know, she wasn't being mean to me, but she was like, I don't, I still don't necessarily see them. I'm sure you, you know, you're really tuned into this thing. Well, it got to the point where she had to come to me and say, please don't ask me to comment on your body transformation. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I feel like once I begin to participate in this with you, now we're kind of both worshiping this thing that you're doing. Yeah, and good point. Anyway, so in, in an equally very subtle way, my intentions were good. I wanted to heal. I wanted to get stronger so I didn't injure myself again. Just a little taste of what could be is what began to kind of bait the hook and lead me down a mental pathway I didn't want to go down, dreaming about, visualizing things that weren't necessarily within my control yeah. unless I was willing to give my whole life over to it. And I think that's another lesson I've learned from from within a workout plan now is the people that you see at the gym or especially on social media who, who are standing a certain way and holding their, you know, inhaling or exhaling so yeah. much to, to get the proportions the way they want that really they've had to give their entire life to that thing yeah. uh, in order to look a little bit like whoever it is that they're idolizing themselves. And even as I meet with young men, unfortunately, a lot of guys that grow up in the Western world have a skewed view of a realistic female body mm. for a lot of reasons. Um, and one of them is because of the rise of the social media fitness guru. You know, yeah. There's so many different people that look a certain way. We begin to tell ourselves, Maybe this is a realistic expectation for me to have. And it has just been helpful for me in counseling to be able to say to these guys, because they'll struggle. They'll meet a young woman. She loves the Lord. Maybe everything but her body is pretty close to ideal. And she's not even an unattractive person. She's just not that chiseled, perfect right. Greek goddess, whatever. And I'll say to these guys, you need to understand that unless this person just has superhuman genetics, which is totally possible, probably you don't want to marry that lifestyle. You don't really want to hitch your wagon to a person who needs to be in the gym multiple sessions a day, multiple hours at a time, yeah. like measuring down to the ounce how much salt they're taking into their, like stuff like that. You want to be able to just go to dinner, yeah. have a slice of pizza once in a while, yeah. you know, go on vacation. Not after, so I think it's helpful too to see that along with that idolatry, it's not just that as Christians it's wrong and we shouldn't do it. It has real world consequences right. too. It, it's very consuming, I think. It's interesting that... Um that you brought up, you know, kind of the male perspective with this from a female perspective, especially someone who like this might be a different conversation for another time. But um, from a female perspective of someone who, you know, came of age in the 90s church purity culture, yeah. now working in the fit fitness industry, it's almost refreshing. Mm. I can wear bike shorts and a compression shirt because that is what is practical and comfortable when I'm cycling. Yeah. And I am not viewed as a temptress. I'm labeled as a cyclist yeah. and it's like, Oh, you know, it's this breath of fresh air that, but you know, 
you know, hyperized sexuality and hyperized fitness, both are idols yeah. of the body. It's both worshiping the body mm-hmm. just in different ways and capacities. Yeah. And your, your freedom and ability to dress appropriate to the activity is also not based on your physical dimensions, right? right? You're yeah. not out there trying to show or hide. You're functioning. Yes. You're using the body God gave you that he obviously thinks can do this stuff, right? He designed it to, to be mechanically functional the way that it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been cool too, even to see... At the Olympics, as I've watched some of the events, it seems like, whereas in the past, even the commentary on some of the women's events would occasionally shade toward sexual in Uh a way that wasn't helpful at all, it just seems that we've accepted now that a person ought to be able to dress in a way that gives them the highest level of performance, that we're there to see what they can do, not what they look like along the way. Right. It is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's been really cool, too, for me to see as well. Yeah. Uh, So if I can, Audrey, let me quickly make a couple comments, and then I want to get into... um, some of your uh, ways that a person can kind of measure and self-evaluate for idolatry. Let's do it, yeah. If I could just make a couple of comments here. Um, I want to read from the book of John just briefly. I want to emphasize, if I can, for the listener, um, the way that I think Jesus embraced the physical uh, element of human life in in the way that he saw abundant life playing itself out. So I want to read from John chapter 10. Um, This is a a short teaching from Jesus beginning in verse 7. Jesus says this, He says, I say to you that I am the door of the sheep, and that all who came before me are thieves and robbers, excuse me, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in, he will go out, and he will find pasture for himself, which is the idea of rest. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, who is not a shepherd, does not own the sheep. And so when he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches the sheep and he scatters them. The hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I myself am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, you might hear that and go, what in the world does that have to do with exercise or fitness or the idol, the idol of health? To me, what it does is it explains that if Jesus is our rabbi, if he's our example, his way of living was laying his life down. It was giving away his physical time, his resources, his presence. You can only be where your body is. You know, we can't disconnect our psyche or our spirit and travel the world and come back to our body. We go where our bodies can, can get us. And I think it's clear that from Jesus' instruction, his intention is to be an example of laying down the life, of of having something to give to other people. And this has been a very helpful conviction in my own life is I don't want to live in a way, and this extends past fitness, it extends into my relationship with alcohol, my relationship with caffeine, my relationship with sleep, rest, uh, how full I fill my days. I want to be a person who can get a phone call in the middle of the night and be able to help mm-hmm. and be able to show up. I, I don't want to have to be considered a person who only has resources to offer uh, or who can only maybe be emotional support from a distance. I want my physical faculties to be equipped so that I can go and be present with people who have need. Not that I live without boundaries in that regard either. I just described a few minutes ago that I try to be on Sabbath, away from my phone, away from people's needs. Um, But for the other six sets of 24 hours in a week, I want to be a person who has not drunk so much at dinner that night that I can't drag myself out of bed to go help somebody. I want to be a person who is not so over-caffeinated in order to squeeze the maximum potential out of my 18 or 20-hour day that I can barely fall asleep and therefore I'm a nervous wreck or my mind is unstable or my body is failing me. 
Um, I want to consider all of these inputs so that I have something to output that's quality. And that's what those verses speak to to me, is that if the shepherd's life is about giving life to others and laying his life down, that's a very selfless, seeking the good of other people perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that has helped me as I navigate fitness. It's not so much about just avoiding injury. It's not so short-term as that. To me, it's stewardship. And those boundaries that I try to practice are an attempt on my part to be ready at any moment to be as helpful as I possibly can be. So aside from some of the examples that you gave earlier, Audrey, how, how might you recommend that a person self-evaluate for the presence of health as an idol? How do I know if I'm worshiping this thing? Aside from, from being able to be honest with myself about that kind of sneaky, bad feeling where I go, I know I'm doing a good thing, but I actually really like that it's making people notice me or it's making me have some pride. And how can I know when good stewardship of my body that is healthy has maybe begun to slip into worship of my body's image or even my physical performance? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, outside of fitness, I've actually kind of developed uh, a personal litmus test that may be helpful, I hope would be helpful to others um, as far as just with any area of life, being able to be honest with yourself and be honest with God um, with anything that may be an idol. So my story uh, that helped me develop this personal litmus test was started in, uh, in 2018, November 30th, 2018 at 8.50 a.m. Um, I think that's the time that it was. Uh, if you were in Anchorage uh, on that day, you know that we had a 7.0 earthquake. And, um, you know, I really thought that um, that I was going to watch my house fall down that day. The earth was moving like super weird. And, um, and that earthquake only lasted 45 seconds. And it's fun. Every time we talked with someone about it, it's like, no wait, that had to last it so much longer than that. But yeah, that earthquake only lasted 45 seconds. And I remember standing in my doorway and I watched the far side of my house, like raise up and then like slammed down as I was like raised up and then slammed back down. And I thought, I am going to watch my house fall down and there is absolutely nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. And I realized over the next few days, I really wrestled with God and realized that I had placed all of my worldly security in this 750 square foot house. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I kind of developed this litmus test going, okay, if I was to lose something in the next 45 seconds, what is my response? Is my response dread? Is my response fear? Is my response anxiety? Is my response, I don't know who I am if I lose this? Or, um, or is, is my response more like, um, you know, this would hurt. This would hurt so badly, but I know that God is good and by his grace, I will heal from this loss. Um, that I think those two responses are the difference between whether or not, if you're being honest before God, if he is revealing an idol in your life versus whether or not you have your priorities and you're, and you're really truly trusting God instead of, placing your identity and your trust in a house or in your kids or in your health and fitness or in your job. Um, um, so, um, I think, um, when we, 
when we really wrap our identity and our worth in into personal accomplishment, a number on a scale, that one rep max, mm-hmm. or outside of uh, health and fitness, in our kids, in our spouse, in our job, um, then that's when we really need to be mindful and really be honest with ourselves before God to reevaluate, to make sure that we're grounded and we're choosing to place our identity in Christ rather than our identity in those other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, and I think that's really helpful in any area of life. I think that probably the hardest one for most of our listeners to conceive losing would be their family to some degree. Yeah. I think that's the most painful idol for us to have to lay down repeatedly, and it's challenging because I think that similar to family, our biological relationship with our own body is such that it's very hard to separate out losing any part of our faculty. Yeah, um, and these are all good gifts that God has mm-hmm. given us, and so that's how we end up justifying them, turning them into idols so often. It's like, well, this is a good thing. God's given it to us. But it's, we still need to make sure that it has its proper place, that God is uh, God is the most important thing in our life. He is uh, what he says about us is where we derive our identity from, not these things, these tangible gifts that he's given us. Yeah, and it has helped me before to think through, you know, the way that a person interacts with their home a lot of times depends on how long they plan to live there. Mm. Uh, My wife and I rent right now, and so there's only so much improvement we're going to do to that property. We've hung some lights outside. I think we painted like one half of one room once, uh, made a few sort of cosmetic updates along the way. But we're not ultimately going to invest a ton of money into that space because we know that our time there is very limited. However, we've been homeowners in the past, and we plan to be again And our relationship with a home that we own is very different. We want to potentially change the entire layout of the house, tear walls down, add things on. And I think that if we can view our physical bodies the same way, it may help us understand why some of these boundaries are healthy, because Mm -hmm. we're not going to be in this body forever. And the absolute best case scenario is we end up living a less painful life that is less of a burden on other people, that allows us to have more and greater access to creation and enjoy and appreciate what God's done, especially as people that live in Anchorage. But it doesn't matter how healthy we are, eventually the the clock runs out on this Mm -hmm. thing. And so I think keeping that as a perspective has been helpful to me. Because there, even if you're on an extremely regimented diet plan or whatever, there ought to be margin. There ought to be room to celebrate. And I think that's part of how we keep those things from functionally becoming our gods. Yeah. Is once in a while we say to them, no, I'm not going to bow down to this thing. Because it was my choice and it's helpful and healthy most of the time. And in this instance, I'm going to have a slice of cake. Yeah. But if I can't, if there's not a world in which I can imagine indulging for a minute or stepping away from a boundary like that briefly, especially for the sake of others, for community it probably has a stronger hold on me than I have on it. So I totally agree with your litmus test there. Well, as we land the plane here, Audrey, maybe just one closing thought from you, uh, and then I'll offer one as well, and we will wrap up for today. Sure. So I think probably uh, taking a look at fitness as an idol, um, just remember that life is holistic, um, that we're not just physical beings. We are physical beings. We're emotional beings. We're sexual beings. We're uh, spiritual beings. We're relational beings. And so making healthy physical choices based on your nutrition, based on your exercise, um, so that all of the aspects of life are not hindered. You know, making sure that you're making good choices for your nutrition, your exercise, and your rest, um, accepting those limitations in life so that uh, you are um, able to 
pray well, to focus, to have the energy you need to uh, love your family well, to do your job well, to um, do all of the things that God has called you to do. Absolutely. And I think that, like I mentioned briefly, I just want to come back to this idea. If following Jesus means giving my life away, then a healthy question to ask myself is what kind of life am I able to give? What am I, what am I doing? What choices am I making in order to make myself able and ready and prepared to be a person who gives their life away? Can I count the cost of my physical health or maybe my unhealthy choices so that uh, the limits that are in place in my life allow me to to be a help to others and to be a servant to others. So Audrey, thanks for your time today. Yeah, no uh, worries. Thank you for being willing to come in and join me on the podcast. Um, next time, if you're listening, we will participate in part two of a three-part conversation around health. Today's been part one. Uh, next week, my wife, Andy Coleman, will be on the podcast with me talking about what happens when uh, we suddenly lose an aspect of our physical health, uh, dealing a little bit with chronic illness, autoimmune diseases. These are things that uh, unfortunately, Andy and I have had to learn a lot about, so we're going to have a casual conversation around that. Um, as always, church, you can submit questions, comments, ideas, or concerns to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. Please use the subject line podcast questions. That will help us get to your questions sooner. And I'll mention that uh, probably in about five weeks from today, we'll be doing a mailbag episode. So if you've been holding on to a question, whether it has to do with a sermon series, a perspective of the church, something that you just want to ask me or another staff member, uh, let us know. We want to compile five or ten of those and turn that into a podcast episode. As always, church, we love you, we are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon. <laughs>